0: Well, in Confirmation, we learned that the prophet Jeremiah was one of the major prophets. And as uh, Nate asked me to preach, just like Jake last week, saying, this is a tough text. Anybody want to come up and help me? I had a conversation with my daughter, Michelle, who said to me, oh, Dad, you've got to read Tim Keller's book on counterfeit gods. That will help you, give you some insight. And uh, the book is called Counterfeit Gods, Money, Sex, and Power, and Our Only Hope That Matters. Tim Keller wrote that book in about 12 years ago. And it tied right into one of the uh, classes that I had as I was in my last year at seminary on uh, pastoral ethics and talking about the ethics of success in our lives, in our culture. And what I found in Keller's book was he quoted a man by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville. Maybe you've heard of him. He was French. He was an aristocrat, a diplomat, a political scientist, a political philosopher and historian his best-known work is called democracy in america which he wrote in eighteen thirty five and added another volume in eighteen forty and they were early works of sociology and political science in america well de tocqueville traveled the united states and analyzed living standards and social conditions of individuals as well as their relationship to the economic market and the state in Western societies. And this is what de Tocqueville says. He noted a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants of the US in the midst of abundance. Americans believed prosperity could quench their yearning for happiness, but such a hope often was an illusion. And he said, because the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart, this strange melancholy manifests itself in many ways but always leads to the same despair of finding what is sought. On the screen, you'll see a uh, quote from Tim Keller. He says, there is a difference between sorrow and despair. Sorrow is pain for which there are sources of consolation. Sorrow comes from losing one good thing among others, so that if you experience, for example, a career reversal, you can find comfort in your family to get you through it. Despair, however, is inconsolable, because it comes from losing the ultimate thing. Next slide. When you lose the ultimate source of your meaning or hope, there are no alternative sources to turn to, and it breaks your spirit. So what is this cause of this strange melancholy that permeates our society, even during boom times of frenetic activity? and which turns to outright despair when prosperity diminishes. de Tocqueville says it comes from taking some incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life on it. That is the definition of idolatry. So you're thinking, What in the world does this have to do with what Jeremiah said in this passionate sermon as people entered the temple? And I would suggest it has everything to do with it. Jeremiah summarizes some of the things that he's been proclaiming. Remember, this book of Jeremiah was in its final edited form that addressed the exiles. 55 chapters and its laborious to read Jeremiah isn't it? But what happened is they paid no attention to his predictions when they first heard them, but now they ached as they saw the fulfillment take place. They kept asking, why? Why had such terrible destruction fallen on the temple, on the land, on the people? And Jeremiah says, well, it's because you wouldn't listen. to all the words and warnings God had shared and given them for centuries. Later in this chapter, it's interesting that Jeremiah uses the Hebrew word for hear or listen five different times to help them get it, so to speak. So, what I'd like to suggest today as our key theme is this. We are called to be reformed to live every day for God. To love and serve God and to make Him known is the ultimate thing. That is the ultimate thing in our life. Like for many of us, church has been the heart of our life. For those in Judah, the temple was the very heart of their life together. And here's Jeremiah standing at one of the gates to the temple courtyard. And people were streaming in probably for one of the great feasts of the year. and We might say that this sermon is a highly visible challenge to the official religion and practices of the people of the day. It took a great act of courage for Jeremiah to stand at that gate and Proclaim what God had asked him to say. And he calls people to be reformed, be renewed, be repentant. As he shows them that they are in grave danger, but they can still avert it. And the basis for that is the action in in the well-known laws of God given in his covenant to his people and repeated again and again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in the book of James, for example. Reformation. Reformation. I thought of the prophet Isaiah who said, Oh Lord, we are the clay and you are the potter. Reform us in your hands to make us what you want us to be. Believing that that is the daily basis of our love and service to God. Every, and, and this is this is a uh, belief that I have that every generation must know God's reforming power personally, as the ultimate thing in life. Every generation, and experience together in community. To keep the focus looking outward. Next slide, please. To be reformed to live means that our God is not limited to a building. A large part of what these Jewish people in Hebrews and in Judah struggled with. Well, it was the temple. Christopher Wright in his commentary says, Borrowing from Canaanite ideas, people had persuaded themselves that this amounted to a kind of insurance policy a guarantee of God's presence and protection. And if we look down further in those verses, we see Jeremiah saying, and and tell me again, what happened at Shiloh? It was destroyed. Probably by the Philistines. And if it happened in Shiloh, Could it happen again in Jerusalem? Now, if you're like me, I can't remember a time not being a part of the church. And particularly of this denomination, the Covenant Church. I grew up in the Buffalo, Minnesota Covenant Church. Unlike Elaine, who grew up in the Buffalo, New York Covenant Church. But as I was growing up, and even as we age, we go through life each day, we find that it's way too easy to get comfortable. Way too easy to take for granted God's goodness and God's grace. Maybe you've experienced times of renewal and revival personally and in church settings. What I want you to remember is this sermon that Jeremiah preached was prior to the exile. Israel had already been taken captive. And you'd think that people in Judah would kind of get the message. It was just like any other day if you walked into church and uh, coming through the the gates, so to speak, to worship. But what they heard was truly shocking to them. What is this crazy guy saying this time? After all, we are God's chosen people. And God would never let that happen to us would he God says if you want to live in this place you must change your behavior the point it was a massive blatant statement To everything that people held dear. Their land, their city, their temple, and the way they related to their God. And we find that God fulfilled that. As the people went into exile and the temple was destroyed. God is not limited to a building. The next point is this, that to be reformed to live means we really do change our ways. Whether it means these covenant statements, dealing with each other justly, not oppressing the alien the fatherless or the widow to not shed innocent blood in this place not follow other gods to our own harm not trust in deceptive words that are worthless god had laid it out for his people that living in the land From the very first time that they heard it from Moses in Deuteronomy. Well, if you do this, then you will have the freedom to live in this land. But if not, then not. And we go way back into the book of Genesis where God promised this land to Abraham and gave it to his descendants in faithfulness to the promise he had given. It was a tangible proof. It was monumental of the faithfulness of God. It was unconditional. They didn't do anything To deserve it? They owed it solely to God's redemptive grace. And this land remained God's land. He was the divine landlord. He determined the conditions where they could enjoy the life in this land. And the conditions were obedience to his covenant law. To be his people, to live together as a people of justice and compassion in every dimension of economic and social, political, judicial, and religious life. And it raises up the idea that while this is really the tension that we see all the way through Scripture between grace and obedience, isn't it? This unconditional gift of grace and the obedient response to that grace. Obedience was never meant to be the cause of earning the place Or making it my place. So, we are reformed to live, means we really do change the way we live. Next, to be reformed to live is God's call to live beyond our comfort zone. What is it that really God really wants? Does he want my money? Does he want a building? Does he want land? No, what really God really wants is you and me. Our hearts and our desire to follow him. A few years before Jeremiah stood at that gate, there was a young king by the name of Josiah Dobler. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> a king, Josiah, who's actually even preteen when he became king. And they searched through the temple and they found the book of the law. And in the reading of the law, people began to kneel in humility as God spoke. Maxie Dunham in his commentary says, In the reading of the law, then the days that followed, Josiah determined the temple would not only be repaired, but that it would be purged of the filth and the false gods found. Every day, strange-looking cultic vessels of Baal and Asherah were carried out of the temple. And on one day, Asherah's wooden image was burned publicly and the ashes cast on a graveyard. The scandal of Israel's idolatry and perversion now was out in the open. People had been deceived in regarding the temple as their ultimate security. Well, after all, if you get in there, you'll be safe from any enemy, they thought. And Jeremiah says these words are deceptive, they're worthless. As people lived, it was just breaking the commandments. Violence and bloodshed. Sexual promiscuity. Even oppression economically and judicial corruption. But every Sunday they would come back, or Sabbath, they'd come back to the temple to claim the protection of Yahweh on a society that ignored him all week long. Their worship had become diluted and divorced from morality. Their lives made a mockery of the words they spoke in God's presence. And the temptation for any of us can be the same thing it's interesting jeremiah says you have turned the temple into a den of robbers it compares the temple to a hideout where robbers flee after committing their crime, a place where they could stay safe and unseen by authorities, but not from God. God said, I have been watching not only what's going on in the temple, but what happens in the public arena every day of the week where crimes, oppression, and corruption were rife. You may recognize this because Jesus quoted this in the Gospels, in his prophetic enactment of the destruction of the temple. But it wasn't about the fact that he didn't like buying and selling in the temple courts. He wasn't objecting to commerce in the holy place. Rather, it was the fact that temple commerce was linked to a whole system of oppression and exploitation of people and especially poor people. God will not inhabit space in Jerusalem that has violated, been violated by mistreating Especially poor people. So if Jeremiah was standing here, what would he be saying? I don't claim to know what he would be saying. But I know that we live by truths that we can rely on. Friends, those truths can become deceptive as well. A false sense of security. It can apply to all kinds of things. Words and traditions we like to repeat for the feeling they give us of secure orthodoxy. But without living the way we are called to live, friends, we're lived. We're, we're called to be reformed to live for God every day. God isn't limited to a building. Wow, that's a tough one. We just finished a wonderful building campaign, right? Okay, what's the vision? Isn't that what this series is all about? What's the next step? Where is God taking us now? Not to trust in what we've done, because the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who labor, labor in vain. We want God's house to be built here, don't we? To really change our ways really isn't up to us. It's a desire. It is by the power of God's spirit that that happens only, that we live in this covenant relationship with God. I was reminded, surprise, surprise, of a song by Keith Green. The song was, to obey is better than sacrifice. I want more than your Sundays and Wednesday nights. God wants us to live beyond our comfort zone. I don't know about you, but growing up on a farm, when cousins got together, we often played tag. And there was a home base that everybody tried to get back to where they would be safe and secure, right? And we worked like crazy to get back often to that tree that was home base. Friends, it's so much more than church being home base. This is much more than a game of tag, isn't it? God wants all of me, and all of you. And so knowing and loving God is the ultimate thing for you and for me. I'm going to invite Barb to come up and you may recognize this song you may not but i'll sing it through and if you know it join with me and then we'll sing it through again and it's called lord i need you and that is really our prayer today isn't it and so let's sing